0: Well, morning, everyone. It's lovely to be with you via Zoom this morning. I hope you've been keeping well through uh, the lockdown and uh, now living in a situation of uh, still some restriction, but increasing openness. We've had a wonderful series of sermons here in Monmouth over the last few months on uh, the theme of lessons from lockdown. Well, I'm not going to speak about lockdown this morning. But um, I do want to share three lessons from a story in the Bible um, about people who were in a restricted environment. And there are a surprising number of stories in the Bible about people in restricted circumstances. There's David in the um, cave of Adullam in the Old Testament. There's Elijah uh, at the brook Cherith. Uh, there's Paul in Philippi. And the whole letter to the Philippians was written from uh, prison, of course, as were several other of Paul's letters, and it's actually to Philippi I'm going to turn this morning to the passage that was read to us in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, and it's the story of Paul um, in prison with Silas um, at the time when he was um, he and Silas were singing some songs. An earthquake occurred. Uh, Philippian jailer famously was struck by Paul's testimony. he and his family were converted and the church of course came into existence. I'd like to highlight therefore three lessons from this passage that was read to us um, earlier uh, which highlight which focus on the power of praise and music, uh, the power of testimony and the power of encouragement and apply that hopefully to our current context. First of all the first lesson from uh, the story of Paul and the Philippian jailer the power of praise and uh, thanksgiving and music. Also in verse 25 and following in chapter 16 of Acts we read how um, Paul and Silas had been beaten up with many blows two verses earlier. They were thrown in prison and about midnight Uh, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there came a great earthquake so the foundations of the prison were shaken. It's very striking that Paul was uh, singing songs of praise in this context because probably the most common command in the whole of the scriptures is to give thanks to God uh, or to praise God and the phrase praise the Lord is almost always given as an exhortation in scripture by which i mean a a command so it's not an exclamation but a command to praise god you you may remember from his first letter to the thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 16 to 18 he says rejoice evermore pray without ceasing in everything give thanks so 550 times this command is mentioned in scripture Second most common command, incidentally, is fear not, 366 times, one for each day of the year. Um, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself the question, how can I please God? Well, it's interesting that earlier in the Psalms, in Psalm 50, God says, what I want from you is your true thankfulness. This is what really pleases me. In other words, thankfulness and praise is what really pleases God. And it's the hallmark of authentic Christian discipleship. Thankfulness and cynicism or bitterness uh, cannot sleep in the same bed. They just don't fit together. And uh, you can often tell the spiritual temperature in somebody uh, by the the way that they exhibit a thankful disposition uh, towards God. Francis Schaeffer, the great Christian writer and apologist, actually used to say that, a lack of thankfulness is the first sign of backsliding. And if you go to the Old Testament, to um, uh, the story of the Jews coming out of Egypt, uh, Moses says in Exodus 16, verse 18, when they were being cynical and murmuring and so on, he said, your murmurings are not against me, but they're against God. He put it more directly in Numbers 11:20, when he says your murmurings are, quote, despising the Lord. In other words, one of the hallmarks, therefore, of authentic Christian living is a thankful disposition towards God, and it's important to cultivate that thankfulness, especially in a time of difficulty. Often we tend to moan when we're going through difficulties or adversity, but the hallmark of mature as opposed to adolescent uh, Christian existence is thankfulness in the midst of it. And... Singing songs and pray uh, songs of praise are a means of cultivating a thankful spirit. Though we're not allowed to sing much (laughs) in church at the moment by government edict, of course, you can listen to music on uh, CDs, you can sing along at home or in your family. And uh, through the history of the church, music has been indissolubly linked with the spirit of praise. In fact, Martin Luther in the Reformation talked about Frau Musiker, uh, Mother Music. He invented four-part harmonies before Luther's time in the Reformation. Uh, You only had male soloists. Women didn't sing. Um, He wrote the first Protestant hymn book. Um, He started uh, four uh, gatherings a year, four festivals, which included beer and singing, which is probably where the beer festivals come from in Germany, uh, incidentally. And someone said that Luther's emphasis on music and singing was the secret weapon of the Reformation. On one occasion, he said, next to the word of God, um, music deserves the highest uh, praise. And he said a four-part harmony in a church was like a square dance in heaven. John Wesley felt the same, and he wrote a little reflection on music. He said, sing often, um, because that's what lifts the spirit. Sing heartily, with good cheer, lift up the voice, he said. Um, Sing um, uh, ardently um, and modestly. Don't bawl. Try to unite with others. Sing in tune. Do not rush ahead of others. Sing spiritually, having one eye on God. And you will know from the history of the church, especially if you ever read the history of songs or uh, music, how songs were put together, how inspirational they can be. My mother was a very beautiful woman, I have to confess. I was biased. Beautiful blonde woman into her 60s. Sadly, she died in her early 60s um, of breast cancer. But she had the most wonderful soprano voice. She became a Christian, um, a committed Christian, only about three years before she died. I remember her hearing her sing for the first time in, in church. It was a, a piercing soprano uh, voice. And her favorite hymn uh, was um, a hymn by Horatio uh, Spaffer, Spafford, um, uh, which uh, was uh, When Peace Like a River Attends My Soul. You probably know the story of that song, he was a lawyer uh, in the US and uh, his business had uh, been badly affected by the Chicago fire in the 1560s, I think it was. So he wanted to take his wife and four children to France for a holiday um, just to encourage them. But because of business, uh, he had to stay back and send them on uh, in a ship. Unfortunately, this uh, ship, um, I think it was the SS Le Havre, uh, even though it was a clear night, um, uh, hit another ship and sank within minutes. And uh, all his four daughters uh, died as a result. His wife was picked up unconscious on a piece of wood and taken on another boat, which was brought into Cardiff, uh, actually. And she sent a telegram from Cardiff to her husband saying saved alone what shall I do anyway he caught he he got a ship to follow her over of course no planes in those days and the ship he was traveling on stopped where the ship his wife had been on had gone down and um, while he was looking up at the heavens as he was reflecting on the loss of his four daughters uh, he said to himself I must not give up my faith." In this situation. And he began to compose this famous hymn, uh, which has become much loved by many others. When peace like a river attends my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, God has caught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, um, Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood. For my soul. It's a beautiful song. And actually, if you read the history of many Christian songs uh, in our hymn books, they were written in the context of lament uh, or tough times, reflecting on hardship, where people uh, express their trust to God. Another one in the so-called 30 Years' War between 1618 and 48 in Britain, in Europe, when millions of people uh, were killed in, uh, across the continent. There was a German pastor called Martin Rinkart who lost a child and in the midst of it all he composed a hymn which was sung at the child's funeral. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices. And so many of our hymns are written in that context. It's good to sing these hymns, they do our soul good. Of course singing and joy come together. And uh, one of the most wonderful stories I know personally of that is of a story of a a Filipina maid. A friend of mine, a single lady, was a missionary amongst Muslims, and she visited this Muslim friend in Saudi Arabia. Uh, When she visited her, she said, "Um, I've got a new room downstairs. I'd like you to come and see it, if you would. Um, She wasn't really that interested, but um, she went downstairs anyway. When she got down there, the lady switched the light on in the room, and there were about 70 people uh, in the room. And uh, my friend said to her, uh, who are all these people? She said, they've come here because I told them somebody would come and explain about Isa in the angel, Jesus in the gospel. And she said, well, uh, it's uh, who's going to do that? She said, you are. <laughs> she said, well, it, it's illegal. It's punishable by death who are these people? I'd like to know who they are before I take my life in my hands uh, and speak to them. And she said, well, um, you know that three years ago I had a Filipina maid and uh, this maid, I noticed, was singing all the time. She was so joyful. Of course, I'm stuck in the house uh, being a traditional Muslim. And uh, after this, listening to this maid singing all the time, doing menial tasks for month upon month, I said to her, why are you so joyful and what are you singing about? And She said, I'm singing about Isa, Jesus, who's transformed my life and given me joy. And so she said, I said to my maid, well, if he's given you a joy, tell me how I can find him. I'd like to have the same joy. So she said she shared about Isa, Jesus, in the gospel with me. And I became a follower of Jesus and he filled me with joy. But I was afraid to tell my husband because he was a traditional Muslim and I thought, He would be so angry with me and my life would be threatened. I might be thrown out. So I waited one night until we were in bed together, just before the light went out. And uh, he was tired. And I just turned over to him and said, darling, I have a secret to tell you. I've been holding back for weeks. I've become a follower of Jesus Christ. And she said, he opened his eyes and smiled and said, and I have too in the last few months. She said, we'd both come independently to become followers of Jesus. So we started to tell our children, then our extended family, then our neighbours. Some became believers, our children did. Many are still seekers. These are the 70 people who are here. They're extended family members and neighbours who have come to hear how we can find joy in Isa. All that happened because she heard the joyful testimony In music of this woman well that's what happened with the Philippian jailer Uh, he heard um, Paul and Silas testifying in this way and so um, the gospel spread to his heart so the power of praise thanksgiving and singing the second is related to that the power of testimony if you read on in verses 26 to 34 we see the Philippian jailer's reaction uh, after the earthquake and hearing them singing He says uh, to them, What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So, the combination of God's supernatural act and the worship of these saints in difficulties in prison was uh, what God used to, to provoke this man to ask how he might be saved. And it's always been the same throughout the history of the church that our testimony is often most powerful in adversity. Again, the mark of a mature Christian is that he or she is someone who trusts God and doesn't give in to bitterness uh, or hostility or cynicism in time of difficulty, but continues to trust God. Many fair-weather professing Christians who are just pew-warmers and church attenders, as soon as any difficulty comes in their life, if they've been undercut by someone else, uh, attacked by someone, or a problem occurs uh, in their lives. They tend to become bitter, blaming other people, becoming critical or cynical. But the critical spirit and the, and the cynical spirit can't co-inhabit the, joy, the joyful soul. It's just not possible. And uh, fair-weather Christians are really shown up, unfortunately, when adversity comes in their lives, and they react in the same way that unbelievers do. But by contrast, through the history of the church, there are some wonderful testimonies of believers who have stood firm. You may know the story of Polycarp from the first century, the great early Christian leader, um, just after the New Testament, who was uh, fed to lions in his 80s, and he was offered freedom if he just denied Jesus. And he famously said, uh, "He's been faithful to me uh, all my days. Now I'm 80 years of age. I can't imagine that I could benefit in any way were I to, to deny the one who has been faithful to me all these years." And so he bowed and was devoured uh, by the lions. I may have told you before that um, I hope many of you will be listening into the uh, to the outstanding speakers we have at. Um, this year's uh, Equip Conference coming up uh, next week. Two of them are Tim Keller, uh, who recorded something um, and is being treated uh, for pancreatic cancer at the moment. His testimony will be striking, as is that of Joni Erickson. Many of you will have read her books. She's a paraplegic who was injured in a diving accident as a teenager. She's in her mid-sixties now, my age. Both wonderful, radiant testimonies in the midst of, in Johnny's case, a life of disability. In Tim's, Keller's case, um, there's the second bout of cancer he's had. They're both looking to God and trusting him in the midst of difficulties. And um, I had an an example of this in my own life last year when someone I'd been working with for some years, he'd been a friend for over 40 years, Michael Green, the gifted evangelist, uh, phoned me up just the night, the night I was speaking at a, a university events week, a mission week in Dundee. It was 7.15 in the evening. I was just about to begin speaking at 7.30 and the phone rang. So I answered it quickly. He said, hello, this is Michael here. Uh, I said, Michael, ho- hi, why are you calling me? I'm just about to speak. He said, I'm calling you to say thanks for being such a good friend. He said, I think I'm going to heaven tomorrow. I'm having an operation in my heart. The doctor says, I have only got a 10% chance of uh, recovery. So he said, um, uh, I believe I've uh, finished the task God has given me. I'm pressing on to the end. He said, I, I, I know my time is coming, but I'm looking forward to being with the Lord in him. He said, I've got a pile of my books. He wrote over 50 books. A pile of my books by my bedside in the hospital. I'm, I'm giving them to all the doctors and the nurses as I see them, telling them to follow Jesus for his is the best way. I think of another illustration from the Welsh Leadership Forum uh, last year, when uh, or the year before last, when Ajit Fernando came to speak from Sri Lanka, a very gifted Bible teacher, and he told his story of a missionary who'd been working in the South Sea Islands for over 20 years. He didn't see one convert, and then he died. And the mission agency sent a young missionary to take his place. After just two years, a lot of people um, became Christians amongst that tribe and revival broke out. The young missionary was amazed because he could barely speak the language. So he went to the chief of the tribe and he said, "Uh, you had a, a godly missionary here for 20 years. None of you believed. I've only been here for two years and revival has broken out. How do you explain it? And the chief of the tribe said to him, well, sir, when the older missionary was here, he was a godly man. And many times he told us that um, believers do not, believers on the Lord Jesus Christ do not need to fear because of the hope of heaven. And he said, in our tribe where we've worshipped other gods and we're animists, uh, we're afraid of death. But this man told us we don't need to be afraid of it because of the hope of heaven through Jesus. So we waited to see if it was true. Then when he died, we saw that it was true. He rested in the hope of heaven through his saviour, and then we believed. Well, that's an illustration of the power of testimony in the midst of adversity. John Wimber, the famous charismatic Christian Bible teacher and evangelist, just before he died of cancer, said, I've come to realise that the stars often shine brightest in the desert. I wonder if you've been facing difficulties or challenges recently. It may be general health, it may be misunderstanding by others, maybe criticism by others. Don't give in to bitterness. Um, it indicates a very um, uh, weak faith, uh, to be honest. One of the most powerful ways our testimony comes through is when we trust God in the midst of difficulties just as paul and silas did here in the prison it provoked the jailer to ask questions why are you so different i would encourage you to share testimonies in church and read biographies of saints from the past who have stood firm in adversity it'll strengthen your faith so the power of praise thanksgiving and worship the power of testament and lastly the power of encouragement after the church had uh, grown as a result of these incidences and the conversion of Lydia and a girl who had been caught up in um, a demonic possession uh, an unusual base for a church Paul stayed for a while uh, to encourage them verse 40 says Paul encouraged them all and then they left you know, if I could be, I wonder how you, who you would most like to be in the Bible, which character? I've no doubt the, the character I would most like to be uh, linked to, and that is Barnabas, the son of encouragement. What a great name. I'd quite like to be called Barnabas rather than Lindsay, which just means island pool. It has no significance at all as a name. Barnabas, what a wonderful name, to have a, a name which is uh, meaningful the son of encouragement. You know what Napoleon used to say about the best and the greatest leaders? Leaders, he said, quote, are dealers in hope. Hope and encouragement come together. It would be very salutary, you know, if at the end of each day, we evaluated our day and asked us, how much time did I spend today encouraging others? And how much time did I spend being cynical Or gossiping about others gossiping and encouragement cannot go together you know that one of the things the New Testament says is that gossipers won't go to heaven isn't that shocking some sins are very socially acceptable but I've never heard a sermon against gossiping there's a Japanese proverb that says um, the tongue is four inches tall but it can cut down a man who's six feet tall the tongue is four inches long but can cut down a man who's six foot tall. And a devastating Spanish proverb that says, the tongue which backbites to you will backbite against you. Beware of gossipers. Don't listen to them. And don't gossip yourself, because it will come back to haunt you. And usually, gossiping words are passed on to others as well. Gossipers are usually not encouragers. The two can't go Uh, together and even if someone is known as a gossiper and they offer a word of encouragement it can be treated with cynicism by people who know who they are please don't fall into that trap it's very worldly and in Romans chapter 1 Paul says that adulterers will not go to heaven liars will not go to heaven gossippers and slanderers of others will not go to heaven that should bring us all up short And uh, I hope it will encourage us to to commit ourselves to be encouragers. I always remember one of the other speakers coming to the Welsh Leadership Forum Equip in a couple of weeks' time is George Verwa. And I remember somebody saying of one very prominent preacher something negative, and I happened to repeat this to George, and he said, that's wicked, have nothing to do with it. I was taken aback by it, but his instinctive reaction was, don't listen to and don't pass on words of gossip. Be characterised instead by words which build up others and encourage others. Be a Barnabas. Be a Paul and Silas encouraging the saints. Ask yourself if you spend any time each day encouraging other believers. A closing story. A friend of mine called Jim Shaw was a... Professor of nutrition in Boston, uh, in Harvard University, I knew him and his wife well. They were like little children in some ways. I used to stay with them, and in the morning at breakfast time, they'd come down, and they'd say every morning the same thing: "God is good," all the time. <laughs> like two children. Anyway, when his wife died, she was a wonderful woman. Uh, she said um, to Jim, "Now, Jim, I don't need to mope around the house after I'm gone. If God has spared you, He wants you to." Uh, live for him in the remaining days. He sold his house, he moved to a retirement home and I remember visiting him when he was 94 just before he died. He was walking with a Zimmer frame at that time and I said to him how do you spend your days Jim? He was in this little two-roomed apartment and he said well every morning I start the day just as Vera and I used to start the day by saying to myself, this is the day which the Lord has has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. He said, it's an act of the will, whatever my circumstance is. So I determine to set my face towards God, to rejoice in him and give thanks. Then he said, at the end of the day, I reflect on the day and just ask myself, what have I done today to justify God giving me another day on his earth? So he said, every day, I either write an email to somebody to encourage them, or I phone somebody, or I go down to the refectory, the floor down below, and I look out for somebody who's sitting on their own at the table. I may not know them, but I go and sit with them to encourage them and offer a word of encouragement. You know, when you ask questions of other people's situation or you offer words of encouragement, it gives you perspective about your own situation. We're living in an increasingly selfish culture. And again, the mark of an immature human being and an immature Christian is they never ask other people how they're doing. And it would shock us sometimes if we heard the turbulence and turmoil and trials of some people. It gives us perspective when we see that our trials are what Paul called light afflictions, because he saw the challenges of other persecuted or struggling believers. So will we, if we just take an interest in other people, seek to offer words of encouragement, ask questions about the situation, sometimes we'll be shocked at how troubling some people's circumstances are. And if then we take time to offer words of encouragement, it can transform our context. So three lessons from Paul in this restricted environment. The importance of cultivating a spirit of praise and thanksgiving, which is often boosted by the singing of Christian songs and hymns. Um, Make use of them on YouTube or CDs or whatever. Secondly, the power of Christian testimony, especially testimony in the midst of adversity, whatever that is, sickness, marital difficulties, um, gossip or whatever. Standing firm, trusting God joyfully, not giving in to bitter bitter criticism and resentment. And thirdly, the power of encouragement towards others. If we were to apply all those things in our own lives individually or corporately in the life of the church, praise, thanksgiving, singing, encouragement and testimony, it would transform the corporate life of the church. And what's more, it would transform our own lives. Well, may God help us to do so. To make that change with the help of the Holy Spirit from this day onwards. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for the story of Paul and Silas in Philippi. Pray that you would help us to heed the lessons. And help us, we pray, to be characterized as people who are thankful in all circumstances. People who trust you, even When it's difficult to trace you in the midst of difficulties and people who are encouragers rather than criticizers of others. Help us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.